We're continuing a teaching series called Spirituality in the Shadows, recognizing that not all of life is fun and games. There are seasons when the games stop and the laughter quiets, where the smiles recede and it gets a bit dark for us. Seasons of despair, seasons of worry, seasons of fear. We've talked about some of that in previous weeks. Today we're going to talk about seasons of doubt. Mother Teresa was, for just about everybody, the picture of faith and love in action. Her work in Calcutta not only changed that place, uh, but literally had a, had a hand in changing the world, in raising the awareness of the need to care for the world's poorest of poor. And yet, after Mother Teresa passed away, people were surprised to find certain writings inside of her private journal. Her private prayer journal was, was published, and people read words like this. Mother Teresa wrote, I am repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal, saving souls holds no attraction, heaven means nothing. Pray for me, please, that I keep smiling at him in spite of everything. Later she wrote this. These words are to God. You have thrown me away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer, no one on whom I can cling, no, no one alone. Where is my faith? Even now, deep down, right in there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. My God. People were shocked to learn that this woman, who was the picture of faith and love and action, went through seasons, long seasons, of deep, dark, and tormenting doubt. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The first thing we have to do is just recognize that doubt exists. It is not opposed to faith, but it is rather a part of the life of faith. And all of us, whether you're here as a Christian or not, we are all people of faith, which means we are all susceptible to dark seasons of uncertainty and doubt. If you're not a Christian, perhaps you have a, a worldview that says the natural world is where I go to for my certainty. Or maybe you are, you're kind of bought into secular humanism. You look at, look at the human creature as kind of the pinnacle of, of everything in this world, and, and you, you look at the advancement of the human being as, as your source of certainty, of hope, and direction in this world. Whether you're a Christian and you look to Jesus for your sense of certainty, or, or whether you've kind of um, given yourself over to scientism, so to speak, and you look to the natural world for your sense of certainty, or you look to, to humanism for your sense of certainty, we are all ultimately people of faith. We're walking down a particular path in an attempt to get answers to questions that ultimately can't be answered in any kind of objective, empirical sense. We're looking for a sense of certainty that can't ultimately be proven in the scientific method. We're all seeking those things, no matter what worldview we have, no matter what lens we view things through. And here's the interesting thing. The number of things we can know for certain in this world, like for certain, is pretty small. The whole field of, of things we can know with absolute certainty is not that large. 
I mean, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is something we can know for certain. Um, the, the whole is bigger than the part. That's something we can see and measure and test and something we know for certain. Dogs are better than cats. <laughs> something we know for certain. But the things we can know for certain, they're not the things that give life meaning and purpose and joy and richness. Knowing that two plus two equals four or that the, the whole is bigger than the part is, is certainly something that we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt, but it doesn't give meaning and direction to your life. Not, not at all. No, it's, it's the big questions. It's the big questions like, why am I here? Do I matter? Is there a God? What is good? What is right? It's the universal assertions that that life is a gift or that all children deserve love or that justice is important. It's those big things that add meaning and purpose and richness to life and yet none of those big questions or universal assertions are things that can be known for certain. They are things we pursue, things we believe, but things that ultimately we latch onto by faith. We pursue those particular questions, those universal assertions. We pursue certainty on those things on our particular path, whether your path is Christianity or your path is the sciences or your path is, is humanism, whatever it is. We're all pursuing a sense of certainty that is ultimately just outside of our grasp on big questions and some universal assertions that add meaning and substance and purpose to life, but ultimately can't be proven, and whatever path you're on require faith. Requires faith. And so since we're all people of faith, what we have to recognize is that we are all going to have seasons of doubt. Seasons where our certainty about the road that we're on in answering those questions is shaken. We saw a picture of that in, in Peter trying to walk on the water. Jesus, Jesus calls him out onto the water, and, and Peter is walking on the water, and so long as his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he's walking the path towards Jesus with Jesus as the object of his faith, he's able to walk on the water. But then what happens? Uh, the, the winds howl and the waves get larger, and his certainty about the path he's on and the person he's focused at his certainty is shaken and he starts to sink and that happens to everybody no matter what your worldview is and so here's how we deal with it this, this is my proposition to you that, that there, there is a way to deal honestly with your uncertainty there is a way to deal honestly with your seasons of doubt and the first thing that we do is that we admit them if we're all people of faith and we all have moments and seasons of uncertainty about the things that we believe, about the path that we're on, the best thing that we can do is admit it. Uh, we can admit it. The worst thing that we can do is hold on to it and pretend that it doesn't exist because then it will slowly rob us of peace and joy and it will erode our sense of well-being. It's like knowing that there's a, a leak in your bathroom and that every time you take a shower, a little bit of water gets underneath the bathtub. If you pretend it doesn't exist, that's how mold grows and the wood gets warped. Uh, the best way to deal with it, but it's not convenient, is to rip up some of the tile, make a bit of a mess, and expose the issue. But that's not fun. 
The same is true with, with our doubts. You can pretend it doesn't exist, but it's going to eat away at things. The best thing you can do is admit it, and it's messy, and it's inconvenient. Ultimately, it requires a lot of vulnerability. But the thing you need to do is admit it first to yourself. I have uncertainties. Then admit it to someone around you. I am not so sure. And ultimately, admit it to God. And what you'll find is that though that is not easy, though it is vulnerable to say to your spouse, I'm not so sure what I believe right now, or, or to whisper in a prayer, I don't know if I trust you anymore, what you'll discover is that that vulnerability creates intimacy. And that intimacy can change everything. That when you, you share your uncertainties with someone next to you, what you'll discover is that, surprise, you're not alone. And that you now have the opportunity to discuss big and deep things things that they have probably wrestled with too. And you grow closer, and that's good. And also, in admitting them to God, what you'll find is that if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you admit your, your uncertainty to God, he doesn't push you away, he doesn't reject you, but rather he does some of his best work in some of your most doubting seasons. That's a theme throughout the Christian faith. God does his best work when you are at the end of your rope. Think about what you know about the Christian narrative. All of the major players in the story of, of how God is saving the world through Jesus Christ. Every single one of the major players is a person, a man or a woman, who at some point struggled to believe God. They struggled with their sense of certainty about who God was, what he was asking of them, and yet God met them in their uncertainty, and he, he forgave, he upheld, he transformed. He loved and he will do the same for you. Think about, think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's, she's a, a teenage girl. She's, she's engaged to Joseph. She's woken in the middle of the night by this angel that says, hey, guess what? You're going to be the mother of God. And she's like, what? <laughs> Her first instinct is uncertainty. Her first instinct is doubt. And you hear it in her words. She says, how can this be? How can this be? But she admitted her doubt to the angel. And because she admitted her doubt to God through the angel, she was then able to receive something back from God, something that, that comforted her and has comforted billions of people around the world throughout history who have heard these words too. She said to the angel, how can this be? And the angel looked at her and said, nothing is impossible with God. And yet had she not been willing to admit her uncertainty, she never would have heard the words of comfort. Admit that you have doubts to the people around you, to the God above you, and trust that it will draw you closer to the person next to you, and that God will work in your doubt to do something for your good. Once you've admitted that you have doubts and uncertainties, now you can really do something about it. And the next thing that I would offer to you that we do with our doubts is after we have been admitted them, we interrogate them. We put them under a bright light and we look at them. We, we ask a whole bunch of questions about them. We poke at them. We prod at them. And we, do, we try to discover what the real issue is underneath the doubt. Here's something I've learned about, about humans in 17 years of marriage to another human. Something I know to be true with certainty. That oftentimes, when, when, when we are mad at each other, me and my wife, the thing we're talking about is not the thing we're actually mad about. 
Like the thing we say we're mad about usually is not the thing we're actually mad about. It takes some discussion to get underneath the surface and discover what the real issue is. You kind of have to interrogate it. So for example, when we were first married, like the first few months, we got into a series of arguments about the stupidest thing, about socks, my socks, being left on the living room floor. I'll share something about myself. At the end of a long day, I enjoy the feeling of taking off my sock placing it on the floor next to me, and watching my favorite television show. That is one of God's great gifts in this world. I love everything. I love just thinking about it. I might just do it right now. But apparently, that's not okay. And so we would get into fights about this. And it wasn't until about the fifth fight about my socks on the floor that suddenly a light bulb went off in my dim brain, and I realized, oh, this is not actually about the socks. And Lisa said to me, no, it's about respect. Oh. So I said to her, sweetheart, I, I have deep respect for the fact that you pick up my socks. <laughs> and, then, and then she said to me, some words I'll never forget, she said, Matt, I don't think this is going to work out. <laughs> and so I don't do that anymore. So there's that. <laughs> Your doubt is just the tip of the iceberg, but there's a whole lot beneath the surface. Uh, the, the, the feeling of uncertainty that you have uh, about, about God, about Jesus, about faith, is, is something that's just pressed above the surface by something else. And, and your job is to interrogate your feeling of uncertainty and your doubts about God by asking a whole bunch of questions, really wrestling with it, get to the center of it. So sometimes it's, it's really just about pride. Other times it's about grief. Uh, sometimes it's, it's about trust. But it's something. So for example, you may be bothered by the fact that, that you can't control the outcomes of really anything in this world. That, that God is God and he gets to do and allow whatever he wants and you're not. And so you're mad at him. And, and, it, and it, it rubs up against your sense of superiority in this world that God has allowed certain things that you would never have chosen if you were him. Ultimately, you have an issue with control, and it's about pride. That's beneath the surface. Or maybe you're just sad because someone you love or something that you cherish left your life way too soon. And you're not struggling to believe that God exists, but you're struggling to believe that he's good because why in the world would you let this person or this thing leave my life? And the reality is that you're just doing what, what sad and grieving people tend to do, which is to push away the people that love them, including the God above them. Or it could be that you struggle to trust God. And maybe you struggle to trust God because you've been hurt by people who claim to know him. You've seen a whole lot of hypocrisy in the church. You've been sinned against by people who claim to love God with their whole heart, and now you struggle to pray to him, you struggle to love him, you're not sure what to know, what you believe about him, because, because you have been burned by people who say they belong to him. What is it? Your, your job is to get beneath the surface and uncover the actual thing that has stirred up, kicked up your doubt. Have you interrogated it? What is it? You know what it was for Peter? The text says it. Jesus says that Peter was doubting, but we know what stirred up all of Peter's uncertainty about Jesus. It says it right here. Let's look a little closely. But when Peter saw the wind, he was what? He was afraid. 
He was fearing for his life. He didn't want to drown. And so he was uncertain. What's beneath the surface for you? Ask the question. Then once we've interrogated our doubts, what we do, and you're not going to like this, but there's no other way to put it. There's no other, there's no other step to take. Once you know what the real issue is that's surfacing all your uncertainties, you take that issue and you surrender it. You surrender that issue, your control, your, your, your pride, your, your grief, your trust. You surrender it. You surrender the source of that doubt. You surrender it to the object of your faith. If you're here as a follower of Jesus, that means you surrender it to Jesus. You take it to him and you see what he has to say about the real issue. What does he have to say about control? What does he have to say about grief over someone who you've lost? What does he have to say about trusting the church? What does he have to say about these things? And see if his answer to the root issue offers you any peace. And I would say that, that what you should do is, even if you're not a Christian, but you're on one of these other paths, where you're trying to find certainty through, through the natural world, or through humanism, or through whatever it is, that once you uncover the issue underneath your doubt in your particular worldview, that you take it to the source of your worldview too. You take it to the object of your faith too. And see what it says to you. And see if what the Christian faith would say in response doesn't outshine what the source of your faith would say in response. For example, if you have kind of given yourself over to naturalism, that the natural world will give you certainty about that which is unknowable, and you have issues with control because the world is a chaotic place, and, and, and you have uncertainty about the particular worldview that you're in because you, you realize that at a moment's notice a meteor could strike this planet and render everything useless, and you wonder if, if there's really any point or purpose to this life since it's so chaotic, it seems to be so devoid of meaning. You start to wrestle with that. Take that uncertainty that you have, that lack of control that you have, and take it to the natural world and see what the natural world will say to your need for control and meaning and purpose. See what it'll say. Surrender that need to the natural world and see what it says in response. I'll give you a hint. It will probably say to you what it said to Bertrand Russell, which was this. The Milky Way is a tiny fragment. Within this fragment, the solar system is an infinitesimal speck. And of this speck, our planet is a microscopic dot. On this dot, tiny lumps of impure carbon and water, that's you, of complicated structure with somewhat unusual physical and chemical properties, crawl about for a few years until they are dissolved again into the elements of which they are compounded. What the natural world will say to you is that you're just part of a giant machine that is way, way, way bigger than you, that has existed before you will exist after you. You are just one infinitesimal, infinitesimally small speck within it. Ultimately, what you do with your life doesn't really matter whether you love your kids or abuse your kids. It doesn't matter to the universe because it was here before you, it will be here after you. That's what the universe will say back to you. Put that on a birthday card. Happy birthday, lump of impure carbon. You don't matter. But now take your need for control and take it to Jesus, the object of our faith in the Christian worldview. Take it to Jesus and see what he says. You might find that he says something like this, like he said in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, in the world you have trouble. He recognizes it. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 
What Jesus says in our particular worldview, he says, I know that there's a whole lot of things that you can't be certain about. You want control in this world. You can't have control, but you have to trust that someone is in control. I'm in control. I have overcome the world. And though this world is troublesome, I am more powerful than this world, and you belong to me. So ultimately, because you belong to me, this world is a very safe space for you. It's troublesome, but it is safe for you. It reminds me of when I was seven years old, my old brother and I would, would go with my dad to the gravel pit that my grandfather owned and operated, Popovitz Sand and Gravel in Flushing, Michigan. And my dad, who worked there part-time, he would put us in the bucket of one of the cranes, and he would lift us up, and he would kind of move us around and swing us around like a carnival ride. It was awesome. Really dangerous. But so much fun. But because my dad, who was unbelievably capable and cautious, but so much fun, was at the helm, we never feared, because we were ultimately in the hands of our very good father. And we, we would get off that little ride, and we, my dad would plop us down on a piece of dirt, and he would yell from the crane, boys, how was that? And we would say, it was so much fun. And then he'd yell back, remember, don't tell mom. <laughs> Here's what Jesus at the object... At, the object of our faith says, he says that he has overcome the greatest enemy that you will ever face, death. And that he is guaranteed through, for you through his perfect life and his rise from the grave. He's guaranteed for you a place in the Father's family forever. So any foe that you face has already ultimately been defeated in Christ. That this life you have matters because God put you in this life and he's going to walk with you through this life so you can have joy and meaning and purpose in this life. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus responds to your, your struggle with control that issues doubt to the surface of your life. That's how Jesus responds. Now tell me, which of those two worldviews offers more comfort in the face of your uncertainty? And if you're here not as a Christian, you have to admit that if my worldview is true, it offers much more comfort, meaning, and purpose than yours does. You may not think it's true, but don't you want it to be true? Don't you wish it was true? Don't you hope it's true? Don't you? Admit your doubt. Interrogate it. Find what's at the heart of it, and then take what's at the heart of it, whatever it is, and offer it up to the object of whatever road of faith that you're walking and see what the response is. And I guarantee you what you will find is that Jesus' response to whatever the core issue is is ultimately more robust, rich, meaningful, and peaceful than anything else. You have to walk a road of faith. Which one offers more peace? We all live by faith. And living by faith means that we will at times have our certainty shaken and we will have doubts. The issue is not if you have a season of deep, dark doubt, but what you do with it. Admit it interrogate it discover what's at the heart of it and then take whatever's at the heart of it and surrender it if you're here as a Christian surrender it to Jesus or if you're here and you're not a Christian and you think that ultimately your worldview doesn't give quite as much comfort when you discover what the core issue is I'd invite you to remember what happened to Peter as he started to sink in the water Peter started to sink, and he called out to Jesus. And he discovered that Jesus was right there, close enough to grab him, 
lift him up and save him. He took his doubt and his fear and he shouted it at Jesus. And Jesus did not let him down. Jesus did not let him drown. And he won't let you down either. You don't have to doubt it. Just try it. Let's see what happens. Let's pray.